Good evening, Calvary Chapel, Twin Peaks. We are uh, experiencing a rainy evening, and we have suspended meeting together because of Hurricane Hillary. And we're not, never really had this situation here before, so we're not really sure if this is going to be some pretty bad road conditions or not, but uh, when you see that five inches of rain are called for on Sunday, uh, and knowing how many rocks and debris tends to fall on our roads, and the fact that it'll be dark when our service closes, it just seemed to make sense to just say, you know, guys, uh, and the fact that we don't even know if there will be power loss or anything, it just made sense to say, you know, just let's stay home. And I will lead you guys through liturgy, prayer, and scripture uh, through the podcast. So, if you're listening to this, um, it means you're ready to worship. And yeah, we're not all together in one room, but we are all together with the same prayers and worship. Uh, So, um, prepare your heart. Get your Bible. Um, If you want to follow along with some of the passages and prayers, you can grab your uh, phone or wherever you get your email, and uh, we're going to go through this. So, sometimes when you're not at a place of worship, it may not be as easy to get your heart prepared, because you don't have that trigger of, this is why I'm here, I'm here to pray and give myself to God. You might be, you know, on your sofa. You might be in a study in your house. <laughs> you might have earbuds in and chaos around you. Um, so take a moment to still your heart. Listen to the patter of the rain. And note the random things that are entering into your mind right now. Just giving them over to God. This moment we will be spending together is a moment in the presence of the Lord. We are opening our hearts before Him. Come, bless the Lord. All you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you, brothers and sisters, he who made heaven and earth. It is now time for the Lord to act. Blessed is the kingdom of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who are in all places and fill all things, treasury of good and giver of life, Come, abide in us. Cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. Hear, O children of the living God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your merciful love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me completely from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create a pure heart for me, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore in me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Amen. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so now he calls us to a new way of life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray. And to give more than we either desire or deserve. So pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy. Forgiving us those things which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. We're going to read from Second Corinthians chapter 3, and then also Mark chapter 7, which I included in the email, but I did not include Second Corinthians 3. Here's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. Such trust have we through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 
who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, then how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be more glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Now Mark 7, verse 31. Jesus, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, came into the Sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to them, to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Now, Psalm 124, as we continue now at the middle point of the Psalms of Ascent, the Psalms which were prayed on a pilgrimage that climbed up to Jerusalem. And so, brothers and sisters, we too, if you remember, we are on our journey heavenward toward the new Jerusalem every Sunday, every day, every moment is another step in our ascent. Here's Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, when people rose against us, then would they have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled. Then would the waters have engulfed us 
the torrent gone over us. Over our head would have swept the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who did not give us a prey to their teeth. Our life, like a bird, has escaped from the snare of the fowler. Indeed, the snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you water the earth, that the earth may in turn give us plants to feed cattle and to feed human beings. And that these rains also fill the rivers and fill the seas and all the creatures that depend upon these things and us too for water. You have been good. We pray that also you would rain down upon us the power of your Spirit, that as we recognize the many ways that you have delivered us from the snare of the fowler, that we would be a people who in our homes and in our congregation bless you for what you have done for us. And each of us participating in this worship can name at least one way you have delivered us. O Lord, open our eyes that we may see and then declare the many more ways we can bless you for how you have delivered us. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, hope everyone's doing okay. This is Pastor Brandon, since you can't see my face, but you probably know my voice. Um, yeah, this Sunday, we were going to look at Matthew 5, verse 48. We will do that next Sunday. Um, about looking at Jesus saying, you must be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. Um, all kinds of questions, confusion, or even dismissal comes immediately into our minds when we hear that verse. And I want us to take a moment to actually look at what Jesus is calling us to. Uh, this is not something to take lightly, but nor is it something to burden us. So next week, I plan to teach a perfect message on Christian perfection. <laughs> not really, but I will do my best to show us uh, actually what the text wants us to see. It just requires a little bit of knowing a Greek word or two. And then you can see what Jesus was doing. And it's actually quite intriguing. And uh, I think you will be enlightened by this. So that'll be next Sunday. We will look at Matthew 5, 48. So that means there's a gap this Sunday. And what I decided to do, and you can tell by the readings that I read out to you, 2 Corinthians 3 and Mark 7, I would like to look at both of those passages in tandem. And um, also the prayer that went before them, um, if you were... Uh, paying attention to it. It was not one that we do every week. It's it's one that's inserted and actually goes with these passages. Uh, the, this, the prayer and these passages have gone together since around the 5th century. 
There's an old ancient uh, weekly reading and prayer for the church um, for each week of the Christian calendar that goes back to the 5th century. Um, and I'm pulling from that for this specific Sunday of the year, uh, and we'll be looking at that. Um, and just so you know, most churches today, you may know that some churches have assigned readings and then, you know, the pastor will teach from those readings. Uh, churches that do that today don't follow this ancient, uh, scripture system. All of the churches today, um, especially if you're familiar with maybe like the Catholic church or one of your more mainline Protestant denominations, uh, they, they follow what's called a three-year lectionary. So they go through some pretty key passages of scripture over the course of three years, and then they do the cycle again. And there's, there's assigned readings and prayers for each Sunday of the year. Well, I'm pulling from a lectionary like that, except as I already said, this one dates back to the fourth or fifth century. Um, and, uh, it's a one year cycle. So every, uh, year on the same week, you, which this one is the 12th um, after Pentecost, um, you would, on the 12th Sunday after Pentecost, you would read these passages and pray the prayer that went before it. Uh, now, we don't do that. Um, we, will, we will occasionally, and uh, we'll occasionally um, say one of these prayers and use one of the readings in our service, but we don't preach on them per se. Uh, following our Calvary Chapel tradition, we tend to just pick up where we left off in the Bible, and we just keep teaching through it. So, if you will, we have a lectionary, but it's just not tied to a uh, to the church calendar. It's just kind of you keep going where you left off, and our lectionary is just to go through Scripture. And so we are now, um, we've gone through Scripture once already. We've gone through the Old Testament now twice, and we are making our second pass through the New Testament, as we are in Matthew. Um, but so this week, this gap, we're just going to look at this ancient assigned readings. And um, if you if you listened carefully, you will notice that both the prayer and the two passages all tie a theme together. Now, the theme isn't as simple as look at this word. You see the same word in all three. It's rather more of a meta theme. Uh, there's there's something that you can sense if you engage in these with meditation and prayer, and you will see that really they're pointing us in the same direction. And um, what it seems that these are pointing us toward is dejection, this darkness, this sadness that can come over us spiritually when we go through, sometimes we go through difficult times and this happens, but sometimes these things come upon us seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, you could be joyful one week, and then suddenly, the next week, you fall into this mood of dejection. You feel like God doesn't love you, He doesn't hear you, and you lose desire to even pursue or seek after God. That's what dejection is like. Now, ancient Christianity talked about dejection as one of the passions, one of the sinful passions. Um, it's not necessarily a sin to feel dejection. That's not what they ever taught. What they taught is that it's a sin to give in to the dejection. And so, uh, on this 12th Sunday after Pentecost, the ancient readings and prayer all addressed this theme of dejection. It's the week of let's, let's, um, look at how the scriptures lift us up out of such dejection. Now, Spurgeon, 
uh, talks a lot about this because Spurgeon, Spurgeon faced dejection often. And, um, he would write about different reasons dejection would come up. And one of them uh, that stuck out to me was sometimes we're dejected after a great work of God. We see what he did and then afterward, for some reason, we just feel so low. Uh, and sometimes it's the reverse. Sometimes we feel dejection precisely because God is on the cusp of doing something magnificent. What I see in dejection is a very trying season when one must tell the soul to seek God when it doesn't feel like it. And that's the mark of a Christian who desires God because he is life itself. Not because God makes us feel better or because he rewards us with things. No. Dejection teaches us to seek God himself and and to seek him as the chief good even when every fiber in our being says, eh, and wants to throw a pity party instead. See, that's the passion. The sin of dejection is when we turn inward and we want to be uh, pampered by others and especially we tend to pamper ourselves. Um, dejection is also a season for humility. And that's how 2 Corinthians 3 opens up. Um, This idea that, yes, we are not sufficient in ourselves, and dejection teaches us that. Suddenly, I have nothing in me that makes me capable of doing the things God wants me to do. I don't even feel like doing those things, or I don't see them, or God just doesn't, none of it just seems real to me right now. I feel like I'm in darkness, like I'm in death. Yeah, this produces humility within us. Um, so, yeah, 2 Corinthians 3 talks about, uh, we, tr- we trust we have through Christ that we can go Godward through Christ. We in dejection, we need Him more than our self motivation. Um, and then it says, that not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. He has made us ministers of the new covenant. So this is what we must remember in dejection. You're precisely right. We are not sufficient. Dejection affirms that. But don't let dejection then say, therefore, that's where you will stay. Because brothers and sisters, we are more than sufficient in Christ. God will make us what we need to be. And 2 Corinthians 3 goes on to show us that we become participants of a greater glory. And so there it talks about how, look, that old law, uh, if Moses' face could light up with glory, so much so that the people did not even want to look upon it, then how much more now that we are in Christ and that he makes us sufficient, how much more shall we behold such glory and even become such glory, as the rest of 2 Corinthians 3 goes on to say. So, in dejection, we need to realize that we're just in a low moment. But if even in the lowest of moments, like, say, the law, 
Like, if even Moses' face could shine, then, then if even you can know the glory of Christ here in your dejection, look forward. What this passage gives us is hope that there is greater glory coming. And this is what we press into. So, Keep moving through the dejection. Keep moving through the hardness, through the darkness, through the, is God here? Why do I not feel him? Why do I feel numb? Because if even now he's with us, how much more when you come out of this dejection? So that leads us also to Matthew 7, where we see an illustration of what dejection does to us spiritually. We see... The man who is deaf and unable to speak. In dejection, God seems silent and we don't want to pray. We are deaf. We cannot speak. And you don't feel like bringing yourself to Jesus Maybe you do. Some forms of dejection, you're there and you're just desperately dragging yourself to him saying, speak to me. But sometimes you're just, because he's not speaking, you're just like, meh. You'll notice that the man in Mark 7, starting in verse 31, uh, that he was brought, we read, that they bring him to Jesus one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech Jesus to put his hand upon him. One of the things we see in dejection is sometimes you don't want to seek God. And here's the other thing is you can't help yourself out of this. We need others. You need to be in church with other Christians or in fellowship or in mentorship with other Christians because they can help guide us in these moments. And, and if nothing else, then they're just there with us in these moments. They are representing Christ to us and us to Christ. And notice also that it is they who beseech Christ to heal him. We need to ask people to pray for us. These dark seasons are natural to the Christian life. They just come with the territory. We must be honest when we face him. There's nothing wrong with us when that happens. Other than that, we naturally aren't sufficient in ourselves, but we're insufficient in Christ. Um, so we must let others beseech Christ on our behalf. That's what we see going on here. And then, um, of, of course, the closing up of the spiritual senses. The ears don't hear. The mouth can't speak. Yeah, you feel, you feel hamstrung, tied up in your spiritual growth. You feel stagnant. If, or if, sometimes you can even feel like you lost it all. But see, what Jesus does is he says, epitha, which is, by the way, an Aramaic word, which is the language Jesus spoke while on earth. He spoke Aramaic, um, which is a close cousin to, to uh, Hebrew. Um, but there's another story why they spoke Aramaic and not Hebrew. Um, but I'm not going to go into that right now. But what Mark is doing is Mark, um, who's very likely, is believed that he is a pen pal, or not a pen pal, but writing on behalf of Peter, uh, because Mark is Peter's uh, disciple, uh, Peter's his mentor, that he's recording an actual, like the, like when Peter slips out this this uh, Aramaic word while they're writing this gospel in Greek, he's slipping out the word he remembers, like the way he remembers hearing Jesus say it. Ephetha. Mark is the only gospel that includes such Aramaic words. Ephetha. 
And then Mark helps us by saying, that is, be opened. Dejection is a prison. And you see this illustrated in the Pilgrim's Progress when Christian and I don't remember which friend is faithful or hopeful, one of his friends, they get thrown into giant despair's dungeon. But Christ comes. Epitha. Be opened. And the gates of dejection swing open. That's what we're brought to Christ for. Our sufficiency is in Christ. So Jesus takes us, like the passage in 2 Corinthians 3, we move from the death of the old covenant to the life and spirit of the new covenant and the, 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 great, the greater degrees of glory from one to the other. We see that Christ is the one who takes us in the same progression. So our dejection finds hope in the Lord who's leading us and ever guiding us into a further ascension. So, here's our concluding uh, implications. Some, some thoughts about what to do if you're in this moment or to help us when we come to these moments. Uh, first, Healing from dejection, first, we start with our ears. You'll notice that what Jesus does first is he puts his fingers into the ears of this deaf and mute man. Okay? So the first thing he starts with is his ears. And we then record when Jesus says, be opened, it's a straight way his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed. It's the ears that are put before the mouth in both instances. In dejection, we want some... To, well, in dejection, it's best to come before God in silence. Lord, open my ears. I want to hear from you. This is the season for listening. It's the season for closing up the ears to what the devils are saying to us to put our spirits in a low state and a time to open our ears to what God has to say. Now, of course, that's always what we want to do. But it's in these moments we must be very intentional about closing our ears to some voices but opening our ears to Christ we must remind ourselves that that is very important. And so, uh, also, maybe this is a time where you don't indulge in media, because sometimes when we feel spiritually flat, we just want something that's exciting. Uh, This is not the time for that. Close your ears up. Let Jesus put his fingers in your ears to these other voices so that we can hear his voice. Epitha. So, we start with ears. Close them up to everything but the voice of Christ. Second, we want to open up our mouth. After we've closed up our ears to other voices and allowed ourselves to hear the voice of God, then we will find that the string, as uh, the King James puts it, uh, the string of our tongue will be loosed and we will speak plainly. 
suddenly we will find the heart in prayer again. That's what we're looking for, is that now we can pray. Now your prayers might be as honest as the Psalms, but now you can pray. Um, so, referring now back to the prayer that goes with these passages, I'm going to pray it. I'm going to I'm going to read out that prayer again, and I want you to listen to it. How does it How does it talk about prayer, and how does it talk of maybe with the, in the background this 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 season of dejection? So it, it, again, it says, "Everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray, and to give more than we either." Desire or deserve. Sounds like it's touching on these seasons, doesn't it? But it's giving us some truths about who our God is in the midst of it. He's more ready to hear than we are to pray. So, once we've opened our ears to hear his love for us, open your tongue and pray. So the prayer continues, Pour down upon us the abundance of your mercy. Remember, mercy being the sense of healing. Forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid. Sometimes in dejection, we don't want to approach God because sometimes we just are disturbed with what we've seen in ourselves. But no, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid. So we can open our ears to hear him and then he will open our mouth to commune with him again. And, the prayer continues, and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. So now, see, with the opening of our ears to His voice, now we can open our mouths and ask those things which we've been too timid to ask or feel unworthy to ask. Because it's through Jesus we've been brought to Jesus. So first, start with the ears. Close them up to other voices. Open them up to Christ. Then, the mouth. We open up in prayer. And then third, we go up. We go up in this great journey of ascension. Now, the psalm, Psalm 124, has not historically gone these passages. It's just the way that our church has gone through the psalms. We, we after Pentecost, do, the, do Psalm 119, and then we go right in after that into the psalms of ascent, because this is a season to remind ourselves as we inch toward the end of the year that um, we are moving toward the end of time. We are on our ascent to the new Jerusalem. And so this, this third point comes from the psalm um, that um, we need to go up. And, and this psalm is interesting because what it does is it starts with a quotation. It's, it's actually a very, this is one of those parts in the psalms where you see evidence of liturgy. Um, it starts with a quotation. It's, it's, it's the people of whatever gathered prayer they're doing, the people are saying, if the Lord had not been on our side, then the leader interrupts and says, let Israel say. And then the people repeat the refrain again. If the Lord had not been on our side. You see the liturgical formula of this prayer. So now the people continue. When people rose against us, and then we would have swallowed us alive, when their anger was kindled, then the waters would have engulfed us, the torrent gone over us, over our head would have swept, the raging waters. The quotation ends. That's what would have happened if the Lord had not been on our side. It's a liturgical recollection 
of God's deliverance for his people, both personally and corporately. Then the prayer goes on, and it's the leader speaking. Blessed be the Lord who did not give us a prey to their teeth. The leader is invoking the next stage of the liturgy and saying, let us bless the Lord who has delivered us in such ways. So, in dejection, healing third comes from our corporate blessing of God's deliverance. It's this doing it togetherness. You may sometimes want to be isolated and alone in dejection, but we need to be together. And hence we see the comrades of this deaf and mute man being brought by them to Jesus. They are speaking to Jesus. There is a communal aspect to his healing. And of course, in 2 Corinthians 3, it's probably needs to be pointed out because sometimes we just take it for granted. Paul is speaking corporately to the people in that passage too. There is a need for us to go up to the church, to be together, and to bless the Lord for the ways he has delivered us because we need to know that truth more than ever in this moment. And when we recollect that and when we voice with the congregation our blessing for his deliverance or in your heart, either way, you might be a vocal person or a quiet person, um, we will find our soul being lifted up. We are going up. We are ascending from the lower glory to the greater glory. You see? See how all this ties together? This is our act of ascension. So, brothers and sisters, take heart in these seasons. Life can make us feel dejected. Sometimes dejection comes out of nowhere. Sometimes it's a premonition of God's work or an after. Uh, the aftermath of being used by God. There's so many reasons it happens. It's not sinful, nor is it a shortcoming that you're in this situation. Just like this man Jesus healed, he could have very well been born this way. It's not on him that he needs to be healed. So it's not on you that you're in dejection. But it is on us in how we respond to Christ in our dejection. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and to ages of ages. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come.
again. Maranatha. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.